0: Hi, this is Larry Pasca, Executive Director of NCSS, the National Council for the Social Studies. This episode features an author published in an NCSS journal. Please enjoy.
1: You're listening to Visions of Education.
0: A podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12. And those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Dan, do you consider yourself a change agent? I would like to think I am. Um, I know I'm at least, like, loud is if that makes a difference I think that's
1: how it's <laughs> measured right it's loudness
0: yeah sometimes people may want to mute me though which you can on a podcast you actually can do that that is true that is true in real life it's a little harder
1: I feel like in schools we we, we talk a lot about big names and how they were these big change actors right so how do we talk about within our with our students about people who make change these change agents
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think throughout the social studies curriculum in U.S. history and government, we talk around all these changes that are happening. But I sometimes I've recently been thinking a lot about how we don't focus like more specifically on like the methods for making change. right? Right. And so we have the National Council for the Social Studies annual conference coming up soon, and if you would like to learn a little bit more about uh, a lesson that I developed, uh, I worked with a, a colleague, Marie Heath, recently, and we were talking about how students really need to know the different ways to make change, because I think they come off sometimes with that just idea about voting, right, like you, you make change through voting, but we all know that many of the movements in history have been led by people whose vote, you know, voters' rights were suppressed mm. or outlawed. And so we um, had read a book by Zainab Tufetci, who's a big hero of mine, called Twitter and Tear Gas, and she talked a lot about, like, how have movements changed in the social media era? And one thing she talked about in the book is she compared, for example, current movements, you know, the Women's March, the Occupy, these other movements in other countries around the world, with the Black American Civil Rights Movement of the 1950s and 60s, and talked about, like, how have these changed? And it was a really interesting question to think about you know, the tactics they used. And so we actually developed an inquiry lesson, which we hope to write up and publish at some point, but we're going to be presenting on Friday morning at NCSS if anyone wants to come.
1: So oh, cool.
0: And yeah, it should be really fun where we use documents. And so the first set of documents is all pictures of the civil rights movement, letters, primary documents, where you look and try to identify what is the tactic that civil rights activists are using. Yeah. Then the second – and you try to think about when – why did it happen at this time and not another time, right? Think about chronology too. Then we look at recent – the women's march movement and, that happened in 2017, and we give a bunch of documents related to that. And It's interesting to think how things have changed and stayed the same. But there's really interesting things like you notice, for example, today how the march is often at the beginning of the movement because it's so easy to organize that. Yeah. Whereas the march on Washington was towards the end of the movement. You know, and I put end of the movement kind of in quotes because the movement's ongoing right, and annual, right, right. and didn't stop in that with you know the, the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act. So anyway, it's really interesting way because we're looking at history, but we're actually talking about tactics for change, right? whether it's boycotts, freedom rides, voter registration, appeals to you know. Leaders uh, you know, in the executive branch and the legislative branch using the courts as a means of change. So it really outlines all these different ways that citizens can make change. And I feel like when I used to teach US history, I kind of missed being that explicit about you could use some of these methods. You just have to figure out which ones are appropriate.
1: That's interesting because I feel like we talk a lot about movements in the past and often with adults. But like when do we talk about student led movements?
0: The only thing I can think of is the Children's March, maybe. Birmingham, I think that comes up sometimes in curriculum, but otherwise, I don't know.
1: We talk a little bit about apartheid in South Africa, but luckily we have a really great guest on today who wrote an article about this. So why don't we invite Marty Tippins-Murphy into our podcast. Marty, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Great to be here.
1: It's great to have you. Thank you. Marty, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background in education?
2: Sure. My way was a, a little bit of a roundabout way, but really resonates with what you all have been talking about. You know, I majored in international relations in college because I thought that would be how I would, you know, quote unquote, learn how to save the world. So I've always been really interested in injustice. And then I went and got a, a master's in journalism because I thought that, you know, telling people stories and, and really doing it through journalism would would be the way. And, and through that process, I started researching a woman who was a, a newspaper publisher and activist in California named Charlotta Bass. And through learning about her story, I learned a lot about both the history of civil rights in California, the history of civil rights movement in our country, uh, the role of of, of women and, uh, and, and really social movement. And so that for me was, oh, wow, like history is really a powerful tool for learning about how we can make connections to the issues that we have today. And then like Pretty much right after that, I started working for Facing History and Ourselves, and so I've had a lot of different jobs within the organization of Facing History, and I think that that's really been my my path. My adult uh, career has been uh, 21 years now working with Facing History. They're a great
1: organization.
2: Yeah,
0: we've had a lot of opportunity to have face, uh, Facing History and Ourselves come in and tweet with us on SS Chat. Can you tell us about a little bit about the mission of the organization and some of the resources they provide to educators?
2: Sure, absolutely. So uh, Facing History is uh, actually been around for over 40 years, and we work primarily with teachers to give them strategies and content with our particular approach. Uh, we have what we call a pedagogical triangle, and this is the way that we do what we do is making sure that we engage the emotions, that there's intellectual rigor and critical thinking uh, with our engagement of history, and that there's always an ethical reflection component. And when we put all those things together, that's when students start to think about their civic participation. So that's kind of the model of Facing History. The, the mission is really to promote a more compassionate and just world and to combat racism and anti-Semitism and all forms of bigotry through these deep case studies of history that we look at. One of the things that really ties together those themes are questions around democracy. What does it mean to be a, a participant in a community, a member of society? And uh, we give students that framework to start to have those conversations. So in a facing history classroom, you'll hear about upstanders and bystanders and, and choices and human behavior. So it's not just sort of looking at the dates and, and places and, and and things in history, but it's really going into the stories of individuals and the choices they made and helping students think about the factors that influence those choices, so whether it's you know, courage and compassion or if people are motivated by fear or bigotry or racism. And so really, again, starting to really think about on the individual level choices, and then students can start to think about making those connections to their own lives and the choices that they make. And again, really helping them find their voice within that process.
0: So what kind of outreach do you do with educators to help them kind of engage the materials and find ways to do it in schools, which can always be the challenge, right? Getting actually getting the materials used in schools.
2: Right. Great. Great. Thank you for that question. Great question. Um, so a number of ways. First of all, we do produce content and and curriculum, so that teachers can go to our website, facinghistory.org, and and download those resources. So it's on the history of the Holocaust, the Civil Rights Movement, the Reconstruction Era, some global issues around um, democracy in South Africa, the Armenian Genocide. So a lot of historical case studies that people can have access to those books, but the most way that we do that is through professional development. So we have seven regional offices in the country. So if people live one of, near one of the offices, I'm from Memphis. We're the only office of facing history in the South. And so people can come to us and, and get trained. We also have staff who travel all over the country to do workshops. We, we pre- we'll be presenting at NCSS. So people can come to our sessions in that way. Uh, we also have a really robust website. So people can get lessons and, and unit outlines by going to the site and kind of joining us. We have a new page called Teaching Current Events, so it's always bringing in new ways to have teachers have real-time resources around the things that are coming up day to day that they feel like is important for their students to talk about and give them some some guidelines and criteria. So there's a lot of different ways that teachers can access Facing History through, you know, proactively on their own, going to the website or finding a workshop. We also do contracts with districts and and, and travel and make presentations. All over the place, so a lot of different ways. So
1: you recently have an article published in the October issue of Social Education that's called Youth in Front, Supporting Youth-Led Social Action. Congratulations. Thank you. And do you mind telling us a little bit more about what it was about and what the work that you're doing?
2: Sure. So this has been just such a great process for us. So a little bit of context, Facing History, as I mentioned, in Memphis, uh, we have been at our location for 26 years, and we've had a student leadership program here for about 20 years. So in addition to our core work, which is working directly with teachers, with those workshops and follow-up support and resources, here in Memphis and some places, other places where we have offices, we, as an extension of our partnership with schools, work directly with students a leadership program. And so the way that that leadership program works is that the students from a variety of schools, it's actually a very diverse representation of schools here in Memphis, come every year to training to learn about leadership and the Facing History methodology, to have difficult conversations, to learn about some history, and then bring that back to their school. So that's been something that we've been doing here in Memphis, like I said, for a long time. But in the last year or so, or maybe even 2 years that's that started to shift and we've seen where students are really starting to take their facing history experience through the leadership program and through their coursework in school and really start to do some things out in the community which you know we think has already always been the case but this has been a, a kind of a coordinated effort and the the thing that happened with us last year started with actually meeting some folks who were part of the v- voting rights efforts in Alabama in the '60s, and we had the opportunity to meet several of them. When one of them was Linda Lowry, who is, you know, now I think 70 years old, but to look at someone like her and have her talk about being 15 years old and being in high school and being part of a voting rights effort was really inspiring for our staff to start think about how we could bring that to life for students, so that we could help them really look at the role of youth in social led movements. And so that was really the spark was recognizing that, you know, people like Linda Lowry, who was in Selma, Alabama, and was part of not just showing up for a March one day, although she was part of the Selma to Montgomery Voting Rights March, and that's, you know, what she's known for her book, but that they were part of weeks and months of effort of many, you know, dozens of high school students who organized and strategized, and part of their strategy was to go every day, leave school, and go and line up and get arrested to fill the jails, and they did that because their parents couldn't. Their parents were working, and it was part of a larger strategy, and so there was this persistent effort, again, of teenagers, high school students, who at that time, I mean, they were going to have to be 21 to vote, not even 18, right? So, they they were part of a very disenfranchised community, and yet they felt how important, they knew how important it was for them to advocate for voting, even though they wouldn't be able to vote. So we brought her to kick off this initiative for us, which started back in the spring of 2018, where we said, you know, this is going to be a voting year. We want to talk about voting. First thing we want to do is highlight for our students the role of youth and then start to engage them in the role of, or in the, vo- in the history of voting rights. And so one of the things about the project was that it was really a little bit of uncharted territory for us as well. We have not had a a coordinated effort across many schools of one action or one project that students would work on together. And so we had a lot of conversations among our staff and in consulting with other teachers, about how would we go about this, and and you know there were a few things that we knew we wanted to make sure. Of. One, of course, that we that it was nonpartisan. But really important was how do we bring in student voice? How do they own it? Uh, we knew that we wanted them to engage in some way around voting because it was 2018, but we wanted to make sure that it was something that they really felt ownership of and that they came up with. And so, you know, after a lot of conversation and some research, uh, we invited our student leadership team over the summer to join a think tank. And so, any students who were available could come spend the day with us in July. So, we ended up with about 10 students who were able to participate as well as a couple of our teachers and some of our staff and a couple of students who were in college who had had Facing History, who had been a part of um, another project that I can and tell you about in a minute, to really have that conversation with us. And, so the, and then the framework that we used was from Professor Danielle Allen, who's a professor at Harvard and is one of, she and her colleagues are part of the Youth Participatory Politics Research Network. So it's a great resource for how to engage in social action. And they have these 10 questions for participatory politics. And so we use that framework to help guide the students through what the project would look like.
1: Do you mind telling us some of those questions? Not them all. I don't want you to give it away.
2: Right. Well, you know, and some of them resonated, I think, particularly for our students. So, you know, first of all is, you know, why is this matter to me? And that resonated for us for Facing History, too, because the other thing that we asked ourselves was... You know, there are a lot of organizations working on voting, and which is great. What's Facing History's lens on that? What, what do we have to offer that is kind of unique to our organization? And for sure, you know, engaging people around questions of identity is, is big for us. Having conversations around community and issues and relationships is a big part of Facing History. And then, of course, the history piece. So, you know, for those 10 questions, why does it matter to me? how do I make it, but then how do we make it more than about myself? Basic things like where do we start and how do we make it easy and engaging? So that, those kinds of questions I think really help students think about narrowing it down so that they could think about, okay, in my own life, my own sphere of influence, my resources and my time, what are the things that I could do? One of the things we wanted, we hope that they would, somewhat steer away from was voter registration because we felt like, you know, a lot of people are doing that and that that is not necessarily a process that students could really start to engage in the deeper issues around voting. And so we ended up with this great conversation. And, you know, I can remember so clearly some of the the comments that students made about why people vote, why people don't vote. And we looked at a document that helped us think about the reasons why people don't vote. And so there were things like, uh, big money in politics, or I don't like either candidate, or institutions have failed me. And so as part of that, I think that we had really realistic conversations about, you know, legitimate reasons why people are frustrated with the voting process.
0: I had somebody say to me, you know, as a, as a white guy, you know, it's easy for me to say everyone should get involved in politics, but it's easier for me to also see myself represented by poli- politics, um, in some sense. And I I remember hearing a woman of color Point out that one of the reasons she votes is to reduce harm, like it's a it's a harm reduction tactic, and it's one of many ways. And she says it's not necessarily that I always find candidates I'm for, but I look for the one that will do the least harm to like me or my community. I thought that was an interesting way of of framing it that I hadn't personally ever thought of.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, and I think you know we had conversations like that. I remember one of our students, say she's African American, talked about people not liking either candidate or feeling like, you know, poor choices of candidates and and saying, well, if we're not a voting block, then candidates aren't paying attention to us. But if we become a voting block, then maybe we'll get better candidates. And I thought that was, you know, really insightful of her. And so the students were just, you know, given that opportunity to really reflect on um, you know why voting or why not voting, and also you know looking at Freedom Summer and the efforts of students during that period of history t- and, the, and the, the work that they did, maybe you know help them appreciate it. But you know we we weren't just saying, well people you know, people really struggled for voting, so you should vote. You know we know that you know blame and shame doesn't work, right? And so really it was the students coming up with why they thought people should vote, and uh, you know they talked about relationships. You know one of the students, James, talked about you know how if if somebody's coming. To your door, and they, you know, want to try, you know, sell you something, or, or you're like, you'll just say anything to make them go away. But if it's a person you have a relationship with, then you can really stay engaged with them and really kind of talk deep, more deeply about the issues that you care about. And so then, students started to really come up with what what their strategy was going to be, and it was going to be persuasion, and then that they would have, you know, a few tactics within that, which is again that personal relationship piece was so important, FOMO, which fear of missing out, which is not, you know, I have to be honest, I didn't know what that was until they (laughs) they explained it. And then uh, education, again, so educating themselves around not only the issues around voting, but also, you know, voter suppression barriers to voting. So, you know, knowing that, you know, the things that we have to navigate and why it is more difficult for some communities to even have access to voting. So that was definitely part of it, too.
0: Uh, shameless plug, I did have, um, uh, I was a co-author with one of our graduate students. And guess what? Our editor, Zach, was the lead author on a piece in the same issue on voter ID. And and our, our compelling question was, are voter ID laws democratic? Which we point out in the article, you, there's really not a way to answer that with a hard yes, um, <laughs> because we we talked about a lot of those problems. But I wish we had been able to update it Right when it was going into publication, because a lot of new voter suppression ha- started happening in North Dakota with indigenous people there and in with primarily uh, black communities in Georgia. And so anyways, that's also in the same issue. This The October 2018 issue of Social Education has a lot of articles related to these topics.
2: So we just really with the think tank process. And so by the end of that process with the students, they had a strategy that they were ready to share with the larger group, with our larger student leadership group. So that happened when we came back to school, which was in in Memphis is early August. And so we had our 16 high schools represented that are part of our student leadership group all come together. It's about 60 students and they rolled it out. And what was interesting about it was that um, as part of the process, we could see students learning about voting and democracy and and things that they hadn't really had an opportunity to to learn about, which was, we were so glad they were there, but it was also troubling just to to, to see how sometimes very kind of basic things about voting, this was their first opportunity to really have those conversations. And so by the end of that day, we could see the larger group of students talking about, well, I hadn't even thought about it yet because I'm only 15 or 16, but now I see where it matters to me. You know, also, I think just A side note about the the community of students that we're working with. So, you know, Memphis is a, the greater city is about a million people. The city itself is a majority African-American city. So most of our schools are majority African-American and, uh, but the student leadership group is comprised of students from all different kinds of schools. So it's an extremely diverse group of students having conversations and having the opportunity to learn with each other in settings that they wouldn't normally have. So, once that day was over, the students were ready to then take the projects back to their school. So, you know, we recognized that this was continually being a refining and, and iterative process for us, that uh, we were flexible enough to know that you know, we were going to learn things and, and, and just really be open to the, to that. But again, kind of keeping those core uh, tenets at, in, at the center, that it would be student-led. Along the way, we also did a teacher workshop. So you know, Facing History has got a number of resources on voting and history that we were able to introduce to teachers so that if a teacher wanted to support this kind of effort in her classroom or his classroom, that they could do a lesson on voting and then introduce kind of this these ideas of having the conversations with their students about, okay, well, if you wanted to be engaged around voting, you know, here's some things you could think about.
1: I have a question about the students who were involved in the, the think tank. How do they feel like the process went? What were some of their thoughts?
2: You know, they were, first of all, you know, they came because they were interested. And I, I think they really enjoyed it. I mean, they gave up a lot of their time over the summer to come to our office and continue to have those conversations with us. And then they really took leadership in pre- presenting at the August gathering and then rolling it out. The other thing is that again sort of student led letting students come up with their their strategies once they kind of had that big idea when they would take it back to their school they would it would look a little different so one of the schools that was part of the the think tank process decided they wanted to present to their faculty about it and get a conversation with the faculty about voting which i thought was really interesting it was like i wouldn't have thought that that would be you know my first thought uh, but they they did and they um, you know, the faculty was really receptive, and and um, so, you know, I it was just really interesting to see how they, again, sort of took ownership of it and, and thought about different ways to do it within their own contexts. Um, one of the students that was part of it uh, really thought about it in the context of his family, and uh, he's the middle brother. And so he's got an older brother who's older, old enough to vote and, and a younger brother. And so his, his idea was, I'm going to talk to my older brother who can vote and should vote because he can have an impact on my life and also be a role model that we can both be for our younger brother. And so, you know, another one of the students talked to her grandfather and he talked about, you know, being an African-American man and had to take a test, a literacy test, in order to vote. And so she had a conversation with her grandfather about that aspect of his life that she had you know, never had an opportunity to do before. And then the, the The next phase was uh, another partnership with a youth leadership organization called Bridges in Memphis, where we again, you know, iterative process, opened it up to more high school students. We had 300 high school students come from about 40 high schools. We brought in another foot soldier of the movement, Charles Malden, who was also involved as a high school student in voting rights in Alabama who spoke with the students. And then we also had a a young man who's in his early 20s who ran for office when he was 19 for local city council. Because again, we wanted to start to highlight local activism and and people doing things today. So the other thing I would say about the process was that it was intentional that this was, it was called Engage Memphis, the students named it, and that it would be something that we could build on year after year. So next year is not a voting year necessarily, but there's still ways to talk about participating in democracy, because we always wanted it to be about voting, but really about so much more about having students feel, think about their power and, and the way that they could make a difference. And so the final thing we did, which isn't in the magazine, because this happened afterwards, is that we knew that we were going to bring the students together one last time in the fall, two days after the election. And so obviously, we didn't know what the outcome of the election would be. We knew some people would be disappointed, some people would be happy. But what would be the conversation that would bring people together? So the theme of the um, gathering, which is a a teach-in that our students lead twice a year, was called Strengthening Democracy in Divisive Times. And so the students have invited people from their lives adults grandparents parents teachers other people they know we had about 200 people come and the model is that they work in small you know t- groups of 2 or 3 or 4 and facilitate small group discussions and each group would have you know 10 15 people in it the students facilitate this conversation about okay here we are we still need to think about what does it mean to to live in these times and how do we again think about our the ways that we can strengthen democracy. And so they led us through a conversation about that. And and there's a lot of strategies that our students have around using identity charts and discussion lines to really get people up and moving and having conversations about how do you have a conversation? What, what have you done in the past when there was someone that you disagreed with and how did you, how did you resolve that? And kind of, you know, building blocks around getting, some icebreakers and getting people to know each other and then creating an identity chart for a a healthy democracy and and really brainstormed that. It was a fascinating discussion. It was great. And it was so important to see the students who had been at the beginning of that process all along still there having that conversation two days after the election and energized. And that for us, like the big success was that these students are plugged into the process. They're going to be voters when they're old enough to vote uh, but they're knowledgeable and then they're engaged and they're starting to realize that not only is voting a way to activate their power but there's so many other ways that they can do it and I was just I wish I could describe just the light in their eyes and just how engaged and excited they were um, throughout the process but even you know having that conversation at the teach-in on November 8th.
1: That sounds amazing.
0: Yeah, it sounds tremendous. And I know I take a lot of hope from young people right now in this times. I feel like adults we haven't done enough and haven't gotten it right. And you know, my my pre-service teachers I get to work with are so energetic about making change in the world and it's such a joy to work with them. But I was even just thinking after this election, I mean I I think, you know, some people there was there's some some things that happened probably good in the election. Some other things that didn't that were problematic. And but right after the election, you see these uh, students who are primarily concerned with issues around equity and climate change at the Capitol. And you and it was really neat to see a bunch of students were there talking that they wanted a Green New Deal to be kind of. Or I think it was from the Sunrise Movement. They wanted a um, environmental issues to be taken seriously by you know Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic leadership. And then you saw a new twenty nine year old. Congresswoman alexander Ocasio Cortez joining them, and it's just like these students are leading. And I just had some flashbacks to you know the Children's March when when some of the leadership of the Southern you know Martin, well some of the leadership, including Martin Luther King, you know, were like maybe we shouldn't do this, and the kids were like we're doing it. And so you see kids out front right now, and I think a lot of young people are being vocal about politics in new ways and addressing the threats, So it's really cool the work you're doing because I think we need to do it more in our formal spaces in education and in your organization seems like it's doing the work we all need to be doing in our social studies classrooms.
2: Well, thank you. We, we've really been, uh, just so we've, we as adults and teachers have learned so much from the students through this process. And I, I think that that was what brought so much joy to it as well, is that it was, it was definitely a journey that we were able to go on with the students and, and learn so much from them. So we're, we're excited to see uh, where it goes in the next year.
1: So what do you want teachers and other educators to take away from, from this experience?
2: One of the things that we hoped would happen that we could build on for teachers is that by us going through this process, that there would be both resources around voting or participation in democracy, which you know, Facing History has a lot, so people can go to the, the website and get some of those, but also the choosing to participate part, which is a part of Facing History's journey as well. And so if a teacher wants to have uh, conversations with students about what that might look like for them in a way that, again, is is really helping them, you know, find their voice is that there would be some just some basic ways that they could start to have those discussions. And so I think you know what we've described about using the youth participatory politics uh, guide questions is is really helpful. Uh, and again, just thinking about engaging that students in those conversations about if you're going to do this if you're interested in making change, you know, how do you want to go about it? And and really kind of supporting that discussion for them. And I feel like, you know, teachers, they can do that, and the students will figure it out. You know, that was one of the things we knew would happen. I would just say, you know, in terms of some other practical resources at Facing History, if people go on the website and type in current events, it takes you to a whole landing page that will lead to resources on voting and elections and democracy, ways to sort of engage your students in some of these action items. And then we've also got Eyes on the Prize. We've, we have a study guide to that. And it is going to – we all now have the rights to the whole series. This will be streaming on our website.
1: Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. That is
0: great. Well, I think the takeaway is, you know, students can – make a difference. Youth can make a difference, and they have had in history. And, and we can include that more in, in our lessons, but, but you know, really get after how we make change in society. So thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing your wisdom from this project. Thank
2: you. I really enjoyed it. It was great spending time with you both. Thank you. So where
1: can our listeners find you in your, your work online?
2: Well, FacingHistory.org for the organization and for myself, I'm on Facebook, Marty Tippins Murphy, and on Facebook and on Twitter at Marty Tippins.
0: Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. We definitely hope to continue the discussion online and in other spaces.
1: And make sure to check out that journal article. Seriously.
0: It's great. And it has a lot of the references that Marty made during the podcast. It it gives you more specific information about a lot of that stuff.
1: So... At the Visions of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun, creative in education, or you just want to chat, tweet us at Visions of Ed. We're also on the Facebook. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play, and anywhere you want us to be. And
0: if you write us a five-star review, we'll read it on the air. Please do that. That helps people find this podcast. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka.
1: And I'm at 42 Think Deep.
0: Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off.